Strong Pictures welcomes you into a new dimension in terror. Waxwork. How's it going? Not too bad, my man. Getting my roof redone, so I apologize to everybody if the noise comes through on this recording. I don't think it will. I'm in the basement, so let's hope. Told that either way, you have a kingdom full of cats. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've got two, and yeah, they are not happy with all of this noise, so I'm going to have to spoil them a little bit once all the work's done. Perfect. Welcome back here, ladies and gents. I'm your host, Soli, and Court from Cinema PsyOps is back on the show. And today, we'll just kind of be just briefly doing a segment on the waxwork films just two very uh distinct campy homages that star a who's who of the genre <laughs> you you made it very clear before you're all into just movies that just i mean i think everyone's all in general into films that show a degree of passion where they're not just borrowing from other movies they're just kind of just referencing earlier films and then inserting their own fictional world and then having a bunch of other Easter eggs scattered throughout. Would you say these are that kind of film or is it a different kind of eighties cult film? They're kind of like, they're kind of like a sneaky anthology where you get a bunch of different types of tales that they kind of wanted to tell mixed together and wrapped in the idea of the supernatural wax work that 
transports you to this other world based on either a famous horrific character like Mar- Marquis de Sade or the idea of a werewolf or the folklore of werewolves, which is similar to some of the movies too and, and things like that. And then they find a way to wrap all of those worlds together with like this great supernatural evil versus <laughs> regular oh, yeah. marauding like hero types adventure. And then the second one just goes into pure fantasy with like some time travel and, and all of that kind of stuff too. But they're, they're both really at the heart of them. They're like sneaky anthologies is a best way to put it because they, they have all these different little stories that they, you know, you run off and you get trapped in whether it's like time travel or you just step through a portal because you went past the rope at the wax work that you weren't supposed to that kind of thing. And, and I, I feel like they're, they're more like that than anything else, but also it's, it's really kind of inventive and yeah, it is a little, got a little bit of that cornball and that cheese and that fun, um, particularly the second one more so than the first, but I concur. Yeah. But, Especially with the second one ends like filmed in the fourth dimension, and you're like, "What?" Yeah, yeah. It it definitely goes into like a hard fantasy kind of like or a dark fantasy or horror fantasy thing at the end of that second one. But they they just both. It, it doesn't really go uneven in the tone either. So like when they're jumping around, like a lot of anthologies, it's real uneven. You'll have like two or three segments that are like super scary and super dark if it's a horror movie. And then you have like a goofy one. Cause you know, somebody wants to lighten the mood or whatever or, or, right. or, or, or what have you, you know, I mean, <laughs> it even happens in creep show a little bit where some of our, some of those segments are a little, a, a little scarier than others. And some are a little more corny, like the, everybody that hates the lonesome death of Jordy Verrill, <laughs> you know, because it's just too funny to them. But like, if you think about it, the, the psychological horror is there slowly being transformed into a plant. But to get back to that, uh, th- no, that, that's a good point. I didn't think of the anthology, but it's basically what you might as well say because, like, it's not just a Gremlins rehash for Zach Galligan. He's basically, it goes beyond just the whole monkey's paw. Every you know, hell being unleashed on Earth, you know, <laughs> in a yeah. haunted house. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's, I don't know, it has it has a good amalgamation of mixtures of things that got popular in the eighties as well. I mean, it it almost feels like it was designed by committee and it should have failed miserably by doing that. But the scattershot way of telling stories where it has the kids going to a haunted house or just like the annoying college kids that are sort of brats and irritating that you would get in most of the slasher films in the 80s. They go to the waxwork and instead of being picked off one by one by like a killer or someone like, you know, somebody with a mask made of wax or some shit like that, like slasher ways that you would get in the eighties. They are killed by being forced into a display, being lured into a display, like by supernatural means or something, or just like straight up shoved in. And then they go into a world and it's the world itself that ends up somehow taking their life, but it's not really real. So if they can just not believe in it while they're there, then they won't get hurt as well. Like the the, the supernatural rules are very clearly laid out. And you sort of discover them as the characters do as they go. And I mean, Galleon does an excellent job. Yeah, 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 it it is. It has a little bit of a funhouse feel to it, too. But, you know, there's there's, there's some danger to it as well. But I I think it's definitely Galligan stretching his his wings a little bit as an actor and, and doing a little bit more than just being like, you know, Billy Pelter and this like sweet, innocent boy. (laughs) Yeah. He's kind of a selfish, uh, entitled, self-important prick at the start of this. 
and then he kind of learns his lesson and becomes kind of a better person so there's good character arcs and stuff like that as well it's It's kind of hard to nail what they got right about this film because there's so many different things that it tries to do and it just feels like it's lightning in a bottle and they just got fucking lucky because when they tried to do it again with waxwork too it doesn't quite work because it's just a little too cornball yeah uh, i i concur it's like part one is like you know, Anthony Hickox, this was his first movie before he went on and did all kinds of other things like, you know, Warlock 2 and Hellraiser Free and a bunch of different Dolph Lundgren movies. And with this, you know, he was just a DJ at the time and he just was able to pitch it to someone at, you know, Vestron, which is now Lionsgate. And he lucked out in that. But uh, I think this is it. He just has always had a sarcastic sense of humor in every movie he's done. And he just went to town with the sarcasm. But it's so true. I think you opened a good part of the door there where uh, at the start, it does seem like every other kind of teen, you know, uh, psycho thriller gone wrong kind of movie. And it doesn't even go there, but it feels like it at first. Cause you're like, uh Oh, kids hanging out. Something's going to go wrong. Oh, they're kind of selfish. And, and like most, like half the college kids we know. Oh, but now they're kind of just going in more into seriously what kind of party are we at <laughs> this is no fun <laughs> yeah the intro to that happens in this film is not very much different from say like happy birthday to me or any of the <laughs> slasher films that have like college kids just kind of hanging out at first because that's day yeah <laughs> yeah i mean you you do have that definitely and the big right turn is they all decide to go to the waxwork because you know what a gas they have a free preview and you know Galligan's obsessed with this one's particular character that he can't seem to really get her to like him or care about him. So he gets very possessive and obsessive about her. And then she's gone like right away because all she has to do is go into the vampire room and it's over with. And <laughs> right. There's, there's an underpinning of like really dark sexuality in this too, because there has like this Marquis de Sade's display with the sadomasochism and the whipping and like somebody like getting into it a little too much and that's going to result in their death. The vampires are like grotesque, but they also have this like ex porn star quality to all the people playing the vampires in this. I so think they, a lot of them were actually local LA models. So that would make sense to me. Yeah. And so it's like, it, it has that level of like campiness where it's somewhat lovingly lampooning each of these styles of film or storytelling, whether it's the vampires or the werewolf uh, cabin that you're locked in and, and what have you. And like you said, it is, it's a virtual who's who's of that guy and that gal actors that you will recognize from a bunch of other stuff. And many of you probably know the names and I, I won't go through the litany, you know, I, <laughs> or, I, or I the knew about too, even more just because it was just one of the first movies that popped up on Bruce Campbell's resume. But then I was like, well, he's a very minor part of the whole thing. I mean, for God's sakes, Carl from Die Hard is the guy on the poster. <laughs> I but, really love Bruce Campbell's role in the second film because it's it's like a parody of The Haunting. I think it's my favorite part of the second film because like he's he's there, you know, mutilated and everything. And he's like, oh, goodness, there's only one way to take care of the ghosts, you know, and it I just... should re-see it again, even though I've seen it twice. But yeah, uh, he, he does good. Like, I think he does in generally any role. But yeah, he's you can tell that he and Hickox just got along and they just were going to keep uh, just working together on various stuff. I mean, they were they worked on Sundown, the Vampire and Retreat, which was a similar kind of parody kind of film. Yeah, Hickox really does an excellent job of just basically genre spanning i mean 
he'll deliver a moderately good to really good film in just about any any genre and it's just always surprising to me where his name pops up i mean he does waxwork one and two he does warlock right and he does warlock Two: the armageddon i think correct yes uh, no 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 steve steve minor does warlock he does the sequel warlock to the armageddon and right galligan has a little role in that too he gets brought over and i love how he he, yeah he he reuses character or he'll reuse actors and various things playing similar characters or just having them show up and just kind of be like a little cameo role like he did with Galligan and in that with uh, Warlock the Armageddon. So, and it just seems like the movies that I ended up really, really liking at that time in the late eighties and early nineties, like that run that he had, uh, they were all his, but I had no idea that they were his until I really started connecting the dots and looking into who wrote and directed some of these things, you know? Oh, a thousand percent. In all fairness, though, he noted in a more recent interview how, you know, when he first started out, he was the Vestron New Line Cinema guy, and then he became basically the HBO TV movie guy. And then from there, just a hired gun, any kind of project. But he was constantly being apparently mistaken for similar guys like Rennie Harlan, Stephen Hopkins, Russell Mulcahy, (laughs) all those hired guns who will give it their best shot and make use of a bunch of outrageous special effects and bizarre premises that you just kind of can't help but just they stick in your mind because they're totally you know the the makings of a cult movie <laughs> yeah i mean we're talking basically workman directors here these guns for hire types which even lucio fulci himself did for a good portion of his career to varying degrees Him, you know if, if it was a, a pro- G, uh some of those other guys who weren't argento you know just yeah. right like if, if you couldn't get the budget because you didn't have that name at the end you know that argento name then yeah you just did what you could to to get work and that's what a lot of these guys did but yeah i think i think hickox is really different in that it always feels like everything that he did he gave it his all and no matter what he had budget wise, it all ended up on the screen somehow. He all threw it into the special effects and the things that mattered and the things that people would remember is it like he just really seemed to just give more of a fuck about what he was doing, even if it was something ridiculous like a waxwork, too. I think he pretty much. Yeah, he always got I think he was just even more sarcastic for better or worse on uh, Warlock to, or not Warlock, uh, waxwork, too. And but like you say, he was pretty good at just making use of his limited budget. So he had he had no choice. He had to be creative. Uh, I know he made the movie Full Eclipse. You might have seen years ago, Bruce Payne, Mario Van Peebles, basically werewolves. And it's been a really long time, but yeah, yeah. And that feels more full moon than anything, but that's just a lower budget. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, he was basically just doing references to John Woo and all kinds of guys. And at that point, he was running out of money and he got all the shots at the same time, apparently, uh, that all the HBO suits came in the door and said, wrap it up. <laughs> so, yeah, I think he had, like you say, just uh, no room to be uh, selfish, self-indulgent, or just run out of time. He had to just make every minute count. And people forget, you know, we weren't always digital. You know, we we had so many, you know, people having to make use of shooting on film and make every single frame matter. (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, to thrive in the era that he thrived in and to be able to do this type of work. And I think that's why he was probably the best suited to do Waxwork 1 and 2 
because it's a hodgepodge of a bunch of different movies that or references to things like I mean I we haven't even gotten to like the cemetery with the night of living dead sort of thing yeah, going on if, stuff yeah. yeah but then again the zombies act a little bit differently where they're other it's just basically like an amalgamation of all the different types of zombies because they don't necessarily die the way that a Romero zombie would die and then the individual parts are reanimated like they they have that thread with the severed hand that goes the whole way through every year yeah it's like yeah. it's it's uh, when with the hand sequence alone that's almost evil dead 2 or return to the living dead oh no, it's where... totally evil dead 2 yeah it definitely has that feel to it and i mean i don't want to gloss over the thing that i actually enjoy the most is the werewolf segment when the guy from twin peaks like loses his lighter into the werewolf display and just decides <laughs> to go in and like the fact that like he's believing it, but he can't believe what's happening and he's still like talking trash and being like this uh, sort of sarcastic asshole. It's kind of like how we are as an audience whenever we keep seeing them go into these various displays. But by the time the werewolf actually transforms and it may not be the absolute best werewolf, but it actually is really decent and it looks at least as good as from those series uh, the TV series at the time, Werewolf. It looks at least as good as that one that Rick Baker That's made for that. That's a good contrast because I did feel like if there was any movie they were probably trying to be like at around that time, if it wasn't uh, any of the you know vampire type movies, or uh, it was probably uh, I'm sure they took other effects guys from there to to work on this. I couldn't find any proof of that, but it definitely seems like they borrowed some similar props and. I definitely get a monster squad kind of vibe from this, although it's just a little more R rated. Yeah. 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 You, it does have that, um, that sort of sense of maybe you're not really ever in danger. And once Zach Galligan's character figures out that so long as you don't believe it's real, they can't actually hurt you. You know, it invites you to have fun and laugh at the absurdity as opposed to getting bored and feeling like, okay, this is a ho-hum version of Sam Raimi's typical formula. I don't care about anyone because I know they're just going to die. It's like, well, I'm inviting the chance to see them all kind of go through this maze of hell because it's just all that kind of wacky. It's not serious like and over the top, like say Phantasm, you know. But it also has a sense of, it's not so much that it's just inviting you to come into these worlds, but it also has a sense of, really emulating and showing sort of not necessarily homage, but a sort of respect and love of the type of film that they're making. Oh yes. Even the Marquis de Sade one, if you, I mean, it's like, it feels like those kind of like sleazy Jess Franco type or sexualized films. Like they really hint at that kind of stuff (laughs) or, or like the, um, like something that like Laura Gemsner would pop up in from like an Italian cinema where like the focus is like more about the cruelty and degradation and violence, but the sexuality that's going on with the Marquis de Sade stuff is very much there. Um, and it, it definitely feels like that. But then when you step out, like to, just to go back to the werewolf thing, the, the werewolf movie thing feels very much like a classic universal monster at the start where they go off to the cabin and everything. But then when the werewolf transformation happens and the cap, the cabin catches on fire and all that other kind of shit that's going on with that werewolf, it does get to more modern style of werewolf too. Yeah. It, it, post it, hammer horror. Yeah. Yeah. It encapsulates like the whole, I don't know how they do it, but like each of the little pieces, it encapsulates sort of a little, little taste of everything having to do with that particular flavor of cinema or horror cinema, you know, because the, the vampire thing does have that really grody and 
bloody thing to it with uh, where the guy's got his leg chopped off and the vampires have been eating like human tartare, which just so happens to be the supposed fiance of the one that the woman steps in. The I forgot of. about that. I remember yeah. there was a bunch of other people like half eaten and they're like, oh, goodness gracious, just kill me now. There's a few segments like that. And I mean, yeah. when you got real life, you know, infamous killers like Jack the Ripper in here, as well as the often portrayed fan of the opera. It's like you say, it's reminding the audience that they got all sorts of different icons of the genre that they're just basically exist in this house of wax. <laughs> they also have just this ever slight wink and a nod to stuff like little shop of horrors the with fly the, trap. The, yeah. yeah. The fly trap sort of thing that's in there as well. And I mean, it's just, it, there's so much fucking stuff packed into like an hour and a half movie. And then when there's, when you talk about both of them, side by side there's so much more stuff but because they had just have even more stuff like well all the horror movies we couldn't get to in the first one that we wanted to reference we're now going to do any sort of time travel portal jumping around and mix in some dark fantasy Jordan like you said with the, yeah with the, the fourth <laughs> and fifth dimension kind of thing and they're real inventive they're real fucking fun and it just feels like it was such a huge gamble and you're like man this could have failed miserably and I just don't know if anybody else could have done as well of a job as what Hickok did with this, you know? Yeah, because it's very clear he's a movie buff as opposed to because like when you do homages nowadays, when you see them half the time, it just feels like they wear out their welcome or they're just making up for the fact that they're just kind of a soulless cash cow. And this doesn't feel like, like you say, it's workmanlike in terms of how it's put together, but the passion just shines through in the delivery and execution and it's yeah uh, to organize all this you know on a limited budget i'm pretty sure it was simple as this is like okay dress up the film set T today is the werewolf scene okay next scene is you know the hallway chase scenes you know <laughs> it's, just, it, it's every room has a different trap it's no different than say if you were to go to the actual wax museum you know in your local town <laughs> Oh, I wish my town had a wax museum. You don't I gotta have go. A wax museum? Okay. No, I gotta go to fucking tourists someplace in, you know, like a Vegas or somewhere else to have a wax museum. Yeah. <laughs> Damn. Okay. <laughs> the, they're all worth it because you just look in awe as like, how in the hell did they make such a realistic, you know, human shaped figure? <laughs> yeah, I actually do really enjoy wax works and wax recreations. So seeing the film. I'd never gotten a chance to, like, for the first time as a kid, I'd never gotten a chance to go to one. Obviously, I knew they existed. I'd seen them in movies and everything like that. And this one really takes you really deep into the behind the scenes of how a wax works like that would work. And, like, you could actually, like, get an idea of what the displays would be like and everything. And I've since been able to go to some. And it's actually pretty accurate to how a lot of those are set up all the waxworks that i've been to you actually can interact with the, the figures a little bit more and like pose for right. pictures and things <laughs> you're not afraid of just having a creepy hand that doesn't belong to any of the figures pull you into some death trap <laughs> well, there's some uh horror based ones that are in like uh, niagara falls on in on clifton hill where some of the poses if you stand there long enough and just kind of look at them I mean, like, there's one with a xenomorph where if you're not paying attention and you come around the corner, it'll scare the shit out of you. Oh, Jesus Christ. Uh, yeah. I did have a xenomorph at mine. There was also a random, like, X-Files exhibition and a 
random hand floating around a toilet <laughs> and it'll definitely get under your skin because of whatever music they're playing in that room but <laughs> wow that's actually pretty cool yeah so um, it, that's the other thing too i mean waxworks are a little they're a little bit of a hokey thing in and of themselves and it captures the spirit of that really well in both of the films although the second one is more like i said time travel and and hopping around and it's leftovers oh, yeah yeah it's it you, you can feel it when you're watching and you just kind of know and oh, it's I nice totally that, yeah. it, it's nice that the the blu-rays release that they did of it where they just put them together so where if you want to you can kind of do them both but you know otherwise it's just kind of included in there and it's nice to know and and also the dvd that i originally bought of it was a double pack as well where you got them both that's just yeah. the way to go sell them as a package deal you know and watch uh, them as a package deal I, that's why i applaud all the blu-ray companies they got with the times they're like uh-uh you want it you got to buy it all uh, they did it with the Wishmasters. <laughs> same thing as vestron and like you say it, it it's just the only way you're going to make any money especially if you know half the movies are good and the other half not so much and uh people are still going to get them even if they're an infamous film because they're going to they're bound to have some outrageous special features and <laughs> yeah and this one was an excellent release when they did the Vestron Blu-rays and even the DVDs had some decent special features when I bought those ages and ages ago you know and it was <laughs> yeah, definitely yeah. yeah it was it was worth the it was worth the upgrade for the Blu-ray for sure uh just because of the attention to detail particularly in the first one and the second one felt like it had more of a budget but was meant to be more fun they had more fun with it and they goofed off a little bit more but it it does have some really great moments like all the stuff with bruce campbell's team is in black and white because they're in a black and white movie you know and it, right. it feels like that and and when they're doing the portal and the jumping around and everything it it gets a little hokey and it feels a little like Beastmaster lost in time or something oh, kind of Jesus. like that. Came you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. And it's just, what was with the like super late eighties, like just on the cusp of nineties and taking your franchises into jumping around through portals, right? Like everybody did that. There was even like, was I think full moon, Ted, man. Just... Yeah. Full, full moon did their take on it with like cross worlds or some shit like that with the rugger. Oh, don't forget transfers. <laughs> yeah, tr transfers had that as well, but it was more like just straight up time travel. So that's more like a, you know, where he gets sent back through time more than anything. It's not just jumping around to a bunch of different worlds. You know, it's just straight yeah. time travel. Yeah, but there was like this weird thing where they, they, I guess people just didn't know what else to do with their movie. They're like, how do we get butts in the seats? I don't know. Make them jumping around in time and space or some shit. Right, <laughs> and. You know, I think everyone realized they had taken all the kind of the best kinds of time travel plots and they didn't want to just sound too derivative. So they're just like, just open up a portal. I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of it was a role playing game or early CD ROM computer game inspired in some capacity. <laughs> yeah. And it's the Waxwork 2 is more like um, jumping through multiple dimensions and multiple realities or something like that than jumping around in time for sure and that was a, a, at least a little bit more unique you know but it also has a feel sort of like house two <laughs> more Ooh. so than house you know yeah. what i mean and i'm actually i'm a fan of house two cater puppy for life everybody i, I i'll admit it i love house two <laughs> but that's right? like a it's a childhood <laughs> favorite though i watched it a ton when i was a kid and that's why i kind of like it i screwed up i watched house free first the horror show <laughs> oh i feel really bad for you my friend i really truly I, do. I actually enjoyed it but then again i'm a lance hendrickson completist so what do i know 
<laughs> Lance Hendrickson can make anything worth watching sometimes. He really can. Uh, I was going into it with a fallen shocker kind of film. That's basically what it was trying to be. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's fair. Wow. We're reviewing a bunch of different movies and stuff, but I, I think it all still kind of fits. Well, you know it's, just, I mean? it's all part of the same melting pot. Yeah. It's... Yeah. The, that same, uh, that same area of filmmaking in like the late eighties and such where they just throwing spaghetti at the wall until they see what sticks. And then that's their movie. It's a spicy meatball. No, but it's just right. <laughs> yeah. I, geez, I, I'm almost out of stuff to say about the films. No, I think we pretty much talked fine. about. I, yeah. I, I found out that Twin Peaks actor, you were missing Dan Ashbrook. I'm like, that's right. Yeah. He's from freaking Return of the Living Dead 2. And he was like, he made his debut in the original Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. So, yes. <laughs> yeah. And all the stuff that he's in, even in Twin Peaks in the time, he's very much the quintessential 90s actor. Like that that, that style where <laughs> yes. somewhat sarcastic, somewhat tongue in cheek and almost mugging for the camera and everything he's in, particularly Return of the Living Dead. And the actress who gets killed by the vampires that Zach Galligan was obsessed with. I think she was like the love interest in that werewolf, the TV series that we were mentioning. Uh, Michelle uh, Johnson. I, I guess I don't, I'm not good with names and I don't have ID up with. Uh, no, 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 no. Okay. So this is Deborah Foreman. So she was also in sundown as well as the cult films, uh, destroyer and April fool's day from 86. So, and, yeah, I haven't uh, watched April fool's day in ages, but man, that's a weird quirky little slasher. And that also kind of fits in with what we're talking with throwing spaghetti at the wall and see what sticks. Cause it's, you know, all a trick. <laughs> I'm pretty sure they might have even all had the same agent. It's like, who can we get who's not, you know, Kathleen Turner, Christian Slater, all these other A-listers. We got to go for the B-listers. They're technically C-listers, but they're actually pretty talented in their own right. They just need to be given a chance. So let's put them in this low-budget movie. <laughs> well, and there's also multi-picture deals that they could make with some of these smaller companies at the time. You know, it it was a different time when a film company could get something out on video and know that they would still recoup their expenses if they kept it under a certain budget, but also they would still try and release it in theaters and see what happened. Cause sometimes you would get a bunch of money out of like a theatrical run where it would pick up from word of mouth or something and, you know, actually do okay in the bigger cities. And then you could release it to video and definitely recoup all of your expenses. Like this was a magical time for filmmaking. Oh yeah. When like and the waxwork series was made. A thousand percent before the genre got oversaturated to where now you had to just kind of, you know, you weren't going to find reviews on a movie that went to home video. And so then you you had no other reference other than maybe a few Internet critics and Joe Bob releasing a book now and again. So then you just had to say, well, I'm going to take it with a grain of salt. It'll either be uh, professional, but, you know, movie made for 10,000 bucks or it's going to be a crappy film that a bunch of college guys, you know, filmed on a camcorder and now when i see people being snobby about streaming i'm like you realize it's the same formula guys it's low budget movies filmed in oklahoma north carolina or louisiana that are either going to tv or video but in this case the internet serves both purposes you know <laughs> it's straight to the internet yeah if anything streaming has made it to where the oversaturation you can compartmentalize it because there are certain rights holders for certain periods of time. So you can do your free previews of channels and get yeah. all the stuff in that you wanted to watch and stuff like that. It's, it's no different than going to a video store and just, you know, grabbing what is available at the time because the newest release that you really want isn't available. It's really not that much different than that. It really isn't. And like you say, you know, people don't realize how, 
yes, you know, trends change, markets try to keep up with what they determine are a giant interests that they can make as part of their marketing plan. And, you know, vice presidents of programming change. And half the time, it's just like a boss being replaced by some new supervisor. They want to basically give their whole company a facelift, you know, try out a different formula. <laughs> the only downside to streaming is don't rely on the channel that will have, or, or not the channel, but the particular streaming service to always have the content that you want. If there's something that you absolutely love, find a way to own it yourself in a, in a format that they can't take away from you, including like voodoo and all of those digital locker stuff, because eventually that stuff's going to be taken for you. I'm still going to advocate for, if you can own it on a disc, they can't physically come and take that disc from you. A thousand percent. Uh, if and if you can't afford it, you know, just wait for a used uh, uh, discount bin, you know. Yeah, absolutely. You know, there's something to be said. Even if you can buy a digital file that you actually physically get to keep and are responsible for on, you know, like a, <laughs> a cloud, or, uh, your own personal cloud or hard drive or something <laughs> like that's a better way to go than having the digital locker stuff, because I've definitely lost rights to things with even just digital locker shit, just because companies change hands and studios fall out of favor with some of these, you know, oh, like I, I've, I've had some, a few, not many, but a few that have bitten me in the ass from voodoo and, and prime that I bought that way. Then we're going to have to share some of our media fire archive accounts. <laughs> <laughs> not a lot, not a lot, but a, a few things here and there. So anytime that you can get a physical disc or a copy that you are responsible for, because some release companies will actually give you a digital file that you can download, like something weird video ripped a bunch of their stuff that was old VHS that they recorded yeah. a DVD. They were, they just, they have them ripped to files and you can just buy a file from them and it's I've, yours to keep. I've been doing that a lot. Uh, I think it was like TV archive and there was a bunch of others, but they were just those obscure kind of antenna channel kind of movies. We're just like, yeah, there's never going to be a physical media release of this due to a music rights issue or studio not determining interest in any audience uh, and so yeah it's like there's always gonna be that rare movie where you're just like i'm gonna seek it out yeah i acquired it through maybe not necessarily legal means but you know it's not like i shared it with anyone <laughs> well i mean i had to freaking import a dvd release from france of werewolf the tv series just so i had a version of it that was somewhat legal although dubiously a, so for me to have they didn't have any region free versions or anything <laughs> Well, it, the DVD doesn't really necessarily have to be region free for me because I have region free players, but, and it just was, this was the only company that was releasing it. They had the rights to be able to do it. And it was like all the Al tapes or the, you know, the, the overseas market version of that from that time that they converted to DVD. It still has like French credits and things like that, but it's the, ah. kind of the <laughs> only way that I could get the series because of music rights issues. It was never going to be released anywhere else, pretty much. Jeez. <laughs> hey, at least you got it. <laughs> yeah, and I'm pretty sure it's a fucking bootleg, by the way. <laughs> I mean, it seemed like a reputable company. I was able to order it through Amazon and everything. The discs look great. I don't fucking care. But, you know, it was literally the only way that I could really get a physical copy of it that was purchasable. Especially at that time. Good. <laughs> well, no, this was just a couple of years ago. Like, I, oh, I really? mean, yeah, it was just a few years ago that they actually released this shit to DVD. 
Um, and that's and it was just this unceremonious thing. And like I said, it felt like a bootleg. <laughs> <laughs> it probably was. I just didn't tell anyone about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that pretty much sums up uh, all the things that are great about the era that Waxworks came out of. And then also how it so lovingly emulates the things that it is trying to recreate in so, an era where that sort of thing might have been a little more passe. Right. As opposed to, okay, that would be a great SNL skit or a college humor video, but it's not a good 90 minute movie. You know? Yeah. It and it's a, like a good night. And it's a great mix of like tongue in cheek humor, but also being really loving and paying tribute. Like that's really hard to do. And they tried that in the eighties with a few of these kind of parody films. And I mean, you could have been Saturday the 14th if you're not careful about it, but it ended up being so much more. <laughs> oh, man. Shots fired. <laughs> I'm going to tell everybody dumb button now. <laughs> We've got to review Saturday the 14th next. <laughs> <laughs> I actually prefer the second one of those two again. Like, I'm weird like that. Oh, it's all good. I often like the third part. I don't know what that says about me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's fair. As long as we're not talking Hellraiser again, then I'll take that. Ouch! <laughs> oh, so by the way, I think that was Anthony Hickox too, wasn't it? Hellraiser. Three? Yep, it's all good. <laughs> I actually, can't win every time. <laughs> I actually really like Hellraiser three, but I just don't prefer it over any of the, the ones that came before it. That's all. It's my favorite. <laughs> I don't know what's wrong with me. <laughs> it's got a special place in my heart because it was the first one of all of them that I watched. Oh, even better. <laughs> it's worth it for Motorhead alone. <laughs> oh my god that fucking video yeah so uh what do you have coming up for uh this coming year if anything well actually the year is kind of already planned out so we're going more obscure and weird and uh one of the things that we're going to be doing is we're going to start digging into like blu-ray box sets that i bought Instead of trying to do individual movies out of the set here and there, we're just going to go through the entirety of the sets. That's kind of my big plan. And uh, I don't want to reveal just what it is just yet, but I will give folks a little bit of a sneak. It's going to be for a very specific director. We're doing a box set of a very specific director that we've covered a few movies from before in the past. But uh, Matt's been really super busy lately with life and shit just kind of kicking him in the nuts constantly. And not taking his foot away and stomping more than anything. And so he got the choose. I was like, Hey, do you want to do, you know, some more in-depth, like really thought provoking, interesting films this year for our, you know, the box set breakdown is going to close out the show for that year. Or do you want to do something cheap and sleazy and kind of dumb and fun? And that's what he chose. You can find anywhere. <laughs> and he was, he was like, yeah, let's do cheap and sleazy and dumb and fun. And I was like, all right, cool. So the initial thing that he was going to pick wasn't going to work out. So I kind of substituted in a different director, um, but it's not going to change the flavor at all. And I, I like when we actually start going through this, I think it's going to be fun for everybody. Uh, but we're also going to end up, I mean, I've already talked about it. We're going to be doing the blood Island films uh, yeah. as well. That's like, we got, I got a box set from Severn of that. So I want to go through all of those. And uh, the recent ones you were doing, I was like, yeah, I've been meaning to see those for the while. I just haven't seen them yet, but they were ba essentially, they were all like pre deadliest game ever played, you know, running man type movies. <laughs> yeah. It's really interesting. Those three Italian uh, sort of action sci-fi movies that we did. It was uh, go beyond the Mad Max or Conan formulas. They were aping and now they're just, 
a different kind of crazy. Yeah, they it was like Endgame, Warriors of the Year 2072, and uh, Raiders of Atlantis, which was the most insane out of all of them. Just I loved your second part where you're just like, it's not making sense. Moving on. <laughs> just Because you're, you're always trying to analyze the scene, and there was one which was just tying both you and Matt up, and you're just like, onwards. <laughs> Yeah, it, it, you definitely don't watch Raiders of Atlantis for a cohesive story. You're definitely just watching it for all the action and the Especially craziness. Especially when they decided, let's insert a random Indiana Jones type plotline. Yeah, yeah. It, it, those films are weird because they're, that's the interesting thing is they're all before like Running Man actually gets released. Now, that's not that the story doesn't exist out there, but they end up grabbing the things that they liked from the post-apocalyptic world that was in Mad Max and Mad Max 2, right. and they inadvertently made Running Man rock knockoffs before that movie even comes out. <laughs> A thousand percent, and it's what they had to do when they weren't doing zombie knockoffs or Jaws parodies. It's like, yeah, <laughs> and it is funny how even before the recent Blu-rays and 4K splurge, uh, half of them were being just re-examined by film historians as whether or not they were actually pretty good in their own right, or if they were, you know, so bad they're good, kind of midnight crazy movies, or actually just bad, but a disaster you got to check out. <laughs> yeah, as long as it's entertaining. That's just don't fucking bore me, you know, and then we'll be okay, movie. Just don't fucking bore me. That's right. all I ask. <laughs> and, and and that's at least what Waxworks and Waxworks 2 delivers. They're entertaining. Like, you're going to have a good time if you sit down and watch them. Thousand percent. <laughs> it's been great having you on here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's been a total blast. And this was a great kind of informal conversation, just talking around and about that era of film by the lens of Waxworks 1 and 2. That was part of the theme. You know, go in for this October, just have all kinds of retro kind of Halloween theme kind of stuff. It was like, okay. You remember this kind of cult show from the 90s that scared everyone. It was like the freakest thing since Trilogy of Terror. Here's this 80s movie, but it was a different kind of cult film that teens would talk about at slumber parties. <laughs> Adults yeah. were collecting the collector's edition. <laughs> and if nothing else, everybody, get out there and watch Werewolf, the TV series. It was a great fucking show. Uh, next episode, next year, I will definitely see it. It's been on my watch list. It's just, I think it used to replay on Chiller before they closed down that channel. Yeah, Chiller had the rights to that for a really long time because they could do it as a broadcast. There's something with the music rights where they can still be rebroadcast by a channel. I don't know about streaming services as of yet, but Chiller was kind of streaming sort of. It was a precursor to that. Yeah, basically streaming does. I think it applies the same stuff as DVD rights, because I know they did that with certain 80s shows where they had to sample out the background music differently. Oh, yeah, there are some streaming versions of, like, Married with Children that doesn't even have the Frank Sinatra song, you're right. I, I, I'll go even deeper. My Heavy Vice and Hunter were the biggest offenders. And he's like, yeah, no, you still didn't play that song. That's too modern sounding. <laughs> yeah, and unfortunately, they don't have the soundtracks to be able to tweak like that for something like Werewolf. It's just embedded in with character speaking dialogue, so yeah, we'll never really get them on streaming. They well, just don't want to put out that money they're just like oh no one remembers that i'm like yes they do <laughs> in some cases too it's also the bands that were featured in that declaring or demanding way too much goddamn money <laughs> yes oh bastards why can't we have it all <laughs> what are we gonna do mark we're just gonna pretend like nothing happened but one of those creatures got out 
How? Does the burning down of the wax museum have any bearing on whether the accused killed her stepfather or not? You two are here. Something has gone wrong. If we don't find some evidence, you're gonna rot in jail or they're gonna give you the electric chair. You have inherited your grandfather's and my collection of strange artifacts. There may be something there that will help you in your quest. Hey, look at this. It's a Cartagrian time door. Ready for this thing. Look! Come on! No, Mark! Come on! We did it. Elizabeth, please. Go back to your chamber. Don't be too long, my darling. What happened? You believed in all of this. You possessed your mind. It's here. Look! Sarah, are you all right? I've been looking for you everywhere. Have you got the book? The book? Well, the Loch Ness Monster kind of ate it. Did it? Sarah, no one's gonna believe your stupid story about dead flesh walking. Stop it! Let her go! <laughs> Scarabus also taken the one you loved. Scarabus. We found a ladyship in Uusa. She was with that boy Philip again. One they called the master is no mortal. He is the devil himself. Boy, take this. May God go with you. I mean. Well, well. Take him to the dungeon! Alfred? Of course it's me. Would you mind telling me what's going on? When you first used Solomon's Locket, Sarah and you have actually stumbled into God's Nintendo game. No. Oh, yes. Where he and the devil fight it out, using their various time warriors as different characters. To the death. Remember, it is one of the greatest privileges ever to be chosen as a time warrior. You know, sometimes I think you actually enjoy all this hero stuff. You ain't seen nothing yet. Welcome all, welcome all once again. I'm your pal Soli, and I'm back with another guest talking about waxwork, and it is none other than morbidly beautiful network's Stephanie Malone. Hi, everyone. Hello. <laughs> We're in the <laughs> fourth dimension. Thanks so much for having me. Anytime. <laughs> <laughs> this is a long story short. Uh, how did you get into all these uncanny 80s cult movies that were often being distributed by Universal, Lionsgate, Fox, and even canon <laughs> just that were just like making you just blow your mind you're like oh this is a perfect usa up all night uh you know hbo type oh, movie yeah. <laughs> i mean it helps that i'm an old lady so this stuff is like nostalgic for me nothing um, wrong with being uh, old <laughs> <laughs> um no i mean 80s horror is amazing um it's i have a huge soft spot for it um and i'm especially i'm a vhs collector so i'm still like really nice. into all the whole retro scene i'm gonna have um, to so i was like to, to I, I took an... uh, emily dunlap on gag me with a knife oh yeah I edit, okay I edit, I edit that podcast now <laughs> sweet yeah i like you know i haven't seen this film in a very long time and i was really excited for the opportunity to rewatch it and right when it started and that vestron logo comes up oh, i just like no. get chills yeah. i get super giddy i'm like yes <laughs> before we're doing they changed this. to trimark and then live artisan home entertainment mm -hmm. you almost expect we were joking about some of the other movies anthony hickox had done you know like hellraiser free and um, yeah warlock and we we're joking there are moments where for whatever reason i do expect like the zombies from return of the living dead films or even the warlock to just show up and just taunt <laughs> the protagonist and 
just that had a same yeah. kind of aura. <laughs> this apparently yeah, they this... they had to avoid like release because to avoid like similarities with the Monster Squad. It was so funny because I did get that vibe when I saw it. I actually saw it before Monster Squad, but it was so funny is like yeah, I kind of I can't blame them. They would have probably been countered by Shane Black and company. Hey, you stole our movie. <laughs> Well, this film is, I mean, obviously entirely all about homage. Like it is just a, I mean, this is such a cliche to say, but it's like a love letter to the genre. It's really just, here's a bunch of films and styles of film that I love. And I'm just going to throw it all on the screen, which I think is what makes it so endearing. But um, it's definitely, it's definitely a hodgepodge of everything that's kind of come before it. I couldn't concur more. I mean, because like the we, we were noting all kinds of things. It's not just like uh italian cinema but it's also kind of hammer horror and universal classic monsters and then plenty of other current you know 80s movies that were out at that time we, we were joking how the hand scene is basically the evil dead 2 segment basically referenced it's like yes and, yeah do you feel like there's kind of a lack of sarcastic filmmakers nowadays because that's what hickox has often been noted is like he's just like hey let's just make a fun movie you know on whatever budget you give me and it seems like a lot of filmmakers now like to be very demanding or I don't know, just kind of do a lot of locker room talk. And it's just like, you, you can do whatever you want at whatever kind of budget, you know, whether you're Charles Band or Sam Raimi, that's up to you, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I do think uh, obviously things are cyclical, you know, and this is definitely indicative of a, a real specific time and place. Um, like when you watch it, it feels, and this is not an insult, this is actually a compliment, but it just feels very 80s. Like you're just yeah. totally transported back into that time. Um, and it had a very specific charm to it that, um, yeah, it's hard to replicate nowadays. Um, so it's nice when you go back and rewatch these films and, I don't know, just sort of joy inducing. I mean, I wouldn't say that this is a great film. Like objectively, I wouldn't be like, oh my God, this film is a masterpiece. Well, that's the but joy. It's so it's much like, fun. Yeah. yeah. It's like, and this is where it gets hard as a as both a filmmaker and even a critic when you're having to tell people's like, okay, well, it's a highlight of the genre or of that era. It may not be a top 10 of whatever year on whatever critique you're going with that. But yeah, it's like it it may not be a Nightmare on Elm Street or Gremlins type movie, but it's got some of those same kind of elements and fun. It's yeah, it's, it's a it may it may be a very above average Sunday night movie if you don't want to call it a Friday or Saturday night movie. I don't know. <laughs> well, it's I've talked about this before, but I think that when you're like as a film critic, when you're talking about films, you have to like think about what was the filmmaker trying to do, what kind of film were they trying to make, and not think about whether it's for you or not or you know, whether it does what you want it to do, but does it do what the filmmaker wanted it to do, which this film I think is just pure joy. And I feel like it is very much infused with so much heart and passion. It's a theme park. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it is super fun. And it's hard not to like get on board with that, I think. Totally. I, I that, that's a good point, because there are some critics who will kind of keep a neutral stance until they give their rating. And you're just like, do you were you forced to review this movie? You know, it's like, did you like it? <laughs> but not really like it, but you're still got to give a positive or negative rating on it. You know, it's, it, it seems like some are, like you say, are reluctant to kind of just spill the beans, so to speak. It's just like, I do not care for this. However, I think other people will really take a <laughs> lot of joy out of this. It's like, then say that. Fuck. You know, it's just like, don't, don't hold yeah. back. You're a critic. 
What are you afraid of? Did someone threaten your career if you gave it a positive review? I don't know. I don't even see why anyone would hate it if you gave a positive review. I don't know. It's just like what you like. Jesus. Oh, I don't know. People will find a reason to hate everything. I will say that if There's it's not that, in line with their opinion. Pressure <laughs> by a studio exec who want who hates the movie and wants it to flop, which is even dumber. I'm like, why would you not want your money back making a movie you detest? I I, I don't get it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I definitely don't hold back. I tell you how I feel right away. I I think uh I don't know. I think this film is super charming. I mean, it's like I said, it's been a very long charming time since I've seen it. I remember. I re- what'd you say? Charming is a good word. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Charming. I guess. Uh, I don't know if it's the best description or not, but it's Cute. kind of just what I feel. I, <laughs> yeah. Well, it just made me smile. You know what I mean? It's like, this is fun and, and entertaining. And yeah, it's not, it's, it's, it's silly. It's uh, it's purposely campy and kind of ridiculous. It's not. It's very low budget, so it's not like super high end by any means. Low budget. But, no, just <laughs> but I had like I don't know. I just like I remembered loving it. I hadn't seen it in a really long time, and I rewatched it, and I was like, okay, you know, it's definitely very eighties, um, but it's super super fun. I really enjoy it, and it's kind of fun being like, all right, what are they gonna do now? And I really like the way they. It's almost like an anthology where it's like all these like little little uh segments and different stories that are taking place with the different characters um i find it pretty i mean some of them work better than others for sure but i find it as a whole pretty pretty entertaining i'm with you it, it seems like yeah uh, all together i i just enjoy the effort that went into this and yeah me too because there's so many other homages that kind of do that nowadays and it just seems like they're just distract trying to cover up how soulless they are they're like see see what we did there see what we did there i'm like yeah but you literally just copied a shot of a famous you know iconic or, or you know one of the earlier movies you, you didn't bring anything new to the franchise and this was the first time it was out of the door so it was just whatever wacky ideas that were congregated together was essentially uh just uh you know just that was the flavor of the week and that was what ended up on film and i don't like you say i for a low budget, it is kind of a highlight. It does show how to make a like two relocation, you know, kind of thing. It it doesn't feel too convoluted or even, and it goes by really brisk. Like before you know it, it's over, and you're like, "Whoa, <laughs> that flew by." Yeah, the first one definitely like has. I mean, I don't know if we're gonna get to the second one or not. That's a little bit of a different story. But the first no, one, no, it's I fine. Think the Everyone is varies on either one. Like I, I, I was kind of mad, but enjoyed the part two. I don't put it up as like a top of the list, but Court was really enjoying yeah. both, depending on his mood or the day. And I think it kind of makes sense why they're in a two pack. They're literally one side of the same coin. <laughs> do you want heads or do you want yeah. tails? But yeah, like you say, I feel like part two was kind of like a mixture of like. Uh, deleted scenes and extensions and just kind of some leftover stuff for a potential sequel and it was just kind of all just pasted together with more effort to kind of get more uh, genre actors on there <laughs> yeah I mean two feels for me a little it's a little long it's a little like there's parts where because the first one doesn't drag at all for me it's like really fun the second one I was a little bit like all right we we could probably trim some of this I mean I still think it's it's clever. It's fun. There's some good humor. And obviously, like, there's a lot of really fun cameos in the Very second one. Very catchy um, rap soundtrack. Holy moly. <laughs> yeah, the soundtrack is surprisingly yo, great yo. on that one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
yeah, and it, it's, it's just hard not to, again, it sort of exudes, um, I, I don't know, it feels like, and maybe, maybe they're all faking it, but it feels like everybody's just having a great time and like super happy to be there. And I always enjoy watching films like that, where I, I love watching horror films where I'm like, I think that the filmmaker truly loves horror and isn't just like trying to cash in on how sort of profitable the genre is. Yeah, um, it feels like was, there's like a lot of soul. Yeah, <clears throat> he apparently came from like a like his brother James has done some other low rent B Z grade movies. His father was also doing like some editing on some classic British movies and what have you. And he started out his uh, life, his career as a uh, DJ. And I think he just had that kind of mentality. He just wanted to put on a show, kind of. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, he's always um, I, a joy in interviews just seeing how he just went from one movie to the movie uh one movie to the next um he was talking about how he made other wacky movies like some of his other Dolph Lundgren actioners as well as uh full eclipse I don't know if you ever saw that HBO original movie but basically I haven't was, seen that one it was John Woo meets uh werewolves and, and cops oh, it was, wow. it's just nutty and what's funny is um he he talked about how he was often kind of like on the same short list as kind of the Russell Mokahis, uh, Stephen Hopkins, Rennie Harlan's of the world. He's just that BC movie guy who just, you know, you got to do a horror sequel and then you got to do this and that. And that just, he just was it. This was his first uh, way out of the door. And I didn't say that right. First, what's the expression for just film out of the gate? Yes. First film out of the gate. <sighs> I can't speak to that. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> First film out of the gate, and he, he, it was kind of make it or break it, I guess you could say. And then part two, he kind of just leaned back and said, "Hey, this is more of the same." Yeah, I mean, why not? And and actually, like I had forgotten, I'd really forgotten part two, um, and I forgot that it started like right where part one like leaves off. But like it was so jarring because um, they replaced Deborah Foreman as like the main girl, who yes. I was like super sad because I love her, and I was like okay, uh, I was bummed. And then I did some research and found out that uh, she and the director were dating and they they had like a messy Ooh. breakup right before filming. And so he recasted her and he didn't want to, he refused to cast anybody who looked like her because he just wanted like total separation. So he just, it's like takes place on the same night as the first one, but you've got a completely different girl who looks completely different. It's a little bit jarring when you watch them back to back. Uh, I, I guess the but she was so great with everyone's appearance. <laughs> I guess so. Yeah, that would have been kind of funny if they addressed it and I do wish they did some sort of tongue in cheek thing. Yeah. So but they didn't. Who else do you recognize in this? They have one of the warriors from the gate who's just got a bunch of makeup on is Frank Zagarino, and he did he started in all these goofy cyborg killer robot and military movies <laughs> that often would air on HBO uh, Troy from Star Trek is in this one and obviously Bruce Campbell is here and I mean freaking Carl Carl from Die Hard is on the poster so you know going in he's gonna be a bad guy <laughs> oh for sure I, I mean and Bruce Campbell's part I mean I guess this is again cliche to be like oh Bruce Campbell's great in this of course he is he's Bruce Campbell but uh, it's a really, it's really fun role for him. I see pop up on his resume often. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, Drew Barrymore makes a cameo. Wait, does she? Mm-hmm. Drew, where? <laughs> um, it's, 
the uh, Nosferatu scene, I believe. Oh, wow. <laughs> I know Patrick yeah, it's, it's... Uh, McNee from like uh, the freaking Defenders, I think. Yeah, <laughs> he's in there. The the Avengers, the 90, uh, 60 shows, guys. Yeah, <laughs> from Spinal Tap. Wow. Oh, wow. Yeah, okay, that's right. Oh, yeah, she's the vampire gal. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah. yeah I, I know. It's it's Carradine. a little nutsy. <laughs> I remember David Yeah, Carradine, I'm for I sure. I didn't recognize. Wow, Drew. Okay. Oh. Awesome. Yeah, it's it's a weird little, it's a very weird film um, in a lot of ways. And but I, I mean, feel like it works. It works for yeah. the weirdness works in this case. Um yeah, no, good, I, good, good point. Because yeah. <laughs> there's it's other fun. movies I mean, I where just love... they kind of weird you out and they go on too long, and this is one that was like pretty much it didn't have time to goof around, and they were just straight to the point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's just like I don't know. It's uh, I think it's, and I don't know that it's executed flawlessly, but it's just such a great concept that. Uh, can't that that carries it. it pretty far, away, <laughs> yeah. far, you know, just being that it's original and fun and different. And I didn't know this. I don't know if you knew this. Um, so I'm sort of a research nerd when I'm talking about a film. I like to try to dig into it. No, and Steph, I didn't know they just that... want us to talk about nothing. For I <laughs> well, you know, there's nothing wrong with just bantering, but um, I, I don't know. Well. Like my co-host, <laughs> my co-host on my podcast always makes fun of me because I'm always like, "Oh, and did you know this?" And I write, and he's like, "Uh, yeah, who cares?" Because he wants dark shit. I'm like, <laughs> and you're like, "I, I want to do a good job." <laughs> <laughs> um, but I didn't know that the original was based on a 1924 German silent film. I I did see That's... that growing up, and I was wondering about the validity of that. It's just like, is that Wikipedia just? speculating or no is that i legit? think it's um <laughs> you can watch it because it's like public domain so you can like find it on the internet um but it is like a that film is like very similar well, i mean it's obviously loosely based but it's similar in concept where it's sort of anthology like and it has these different stories and it covers different um subgenres of horror mm-hmm. um so it is like foundationally pretty legitimately based on it Oh, okay. Cool. Um, which is super interesting because I had, I honestly had no idea. I thought this was just a totally original concept. Not that this is any less original because of that, but I just didn't realize that it had it uh, its foundations and something like that. Yeah. Obscure silent movie. Yeah. <laughs> like from 1924 to have that kind of creativity, it's pretty, uh, pretty amazing to me. Very cool. I, I was wondering about that. I was like, okay, was it legit like Inspire or was it just you know, a similar name movie? You know, because, yeah, I mean, various versions of Nosferatu are going to go off different, you know, for instance, they're going to adapt either like uh, one of the books or be more Bram Stokerist or actually copy frames from the original silent movie. You, you, you never know until you actually take the journey. So it it is interesting to know that. It's like, okay, no, they legit inspired by the gimmick of that 20s little scene 20s film it'd be wild if they if they do a blu-ray re-release that would be wild if they included that as a special feature that would be interesting yeah i don't know if they would be able to but that would be amazing (laughs) yeah probably a different company i don't know no yeah the other thing that's a good point oh go ahead Uh, that's a good point Uh, um, the other thing I, I took notice of is just like, 
because I mean, we talked about this is low budget and it's a B movie and it's intentionally kind of camp camp and silly. Oh, it's, like, it's not a B movie. Eff- no, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just kidding. The effects were surprisingly good for all things considering. I was watching it going, wow, it's like pretty gory and and well done. I in the right in the beginning where they have the werewolf scene, I was like, shit. Like I wouldn't have expected a werewolf in a non werewolf movie to look this good. i but it looks pretty good glad to me. You brought that up. So a little uh. Uh, just inside for every anyone who wants to know. So yeah, Paul Jones worked on this. He was in the makeup department of other material like Silent Hill, Resident Evil movies, as well as what we do in the shadows and Ginger Snaps. Actually, no, he's an actor in Ginger Snaps. Um, Dave Keen, I think, is the main guy. No, it's actually yes, 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 yes. Okay, so he no. <sighs> I just had it pulled. <laughs> no. <up>. No. Okay. <laughs> Wait, so no, maybe. Yes. I don't know. Maybe. Dave Keen worked on Aliens and a bunch of the James Bond movies, but this is a very particular guy. He was, if I have it right. No. Jesus. I just had it pulled up. Um, <laughs> bastards. Um, a sec jesus okay makeup guy on waxwork i just literally had it up bob keen thank bob you bob keen yeah. yeah this yeah. is what i hate about imdb they will put the makeup <laughs> and the effects in like separate sections it used to be all kind of merged and i'm like whatever i always merge imdb anyway yes yeah, so bob keen was the uh british uh filmmaker whose works include the original Candyman, Hellraiser Free, all, as well as the original. But yeah, he pretty much was a loyal uh, worker with Anthony Hickox and he was doing plenty of other stuff around the same time, like Children of the Corn 2, and he was part of the effects department on the original Star Wars films and the original Alien he was a modeler on. I just kind of dug how he also contributed to all kinds of other stuff, like makeup consultant on hardware, uh, the original Highlander even uh, has did some animatronic works for material like Event Horizon. It's like, man, and pretty much since then, he's mainly just done short films and other just obscurities. But it's like, that's kind of cool to just see someone just kind of kind of just do whatever they want back in the 80s and then in early 90s and then kind of just go from that wherever from that point on he also worked as a effects supervisor on other obscure another Vestron movie like the unholy i don't know if you've ever seen that with the late big mm-hmm. cross as well as dog soldiers so i that's what just dog kind of soldiers, blows me. yeah <laughs> it just blows me away and just like all these different kinds of movies uh he was part of the creature crew for the keep that obscure 80s oh, that's Man. a good one yeah 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 oh yeah michael man, man and then uh, uh yeah from there just life force and just uh but life once force, the nice. 90s just kind of came and went he kind of just stuck with short films and just other indie films and yeah. music videos but isn't it like crazy how i feel like the more money we have to throw at film sometimes the worse the worse that they look the worse the effects are the worst like these movies back in the 80s when there's like no money and it's all practical and it's all on the cheap and it looks so freaking good and you just get like nostalgic for that I because it's like the creativity that you don't have not you don't have money you have to have creativity I and it breeds such more. 
great. The, yeah. The, the nowadays, uh, something like I think this and Phantasm and all kinds of other '80s indie films that are you know considered close to the genre have kind of just nowadays would definitely be a crowdfunded, successful crowdfunding movie. You know, and it can happen. It can totally happen. But it just seems like it's down to it's not so much even just the passion but just everyone seems to get just get bogged down in i need this x amount of money it's just like you gotta just worry about you know gotta get a good line producer just get someone who is going to tell you what days to film on and for how much and it just seems like everyone just gets bogged down oh if i don't have this shot or that shot i just own it and you're just like come on <laughs> You don't have to have everything yeah. in your script. You can always do a part two if it's successful. I, I had pals who did a, a Lucio Fulci and From Beyond inspired movie called H.P. Uh, Lovecraft's Witch House. And I legit loved it. It did not look like people fucked around in their garage. It literally was just a labor of love. And it 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 was just very eye-catching. And I was just like... I. I'm so glad that it's now on Amazon Prime through a indie distributor and now people can watch it. And so that was my favorite of 2021. You know, I haven't seen it, but we just reviewed that on uh, my site, Morbidly Beautiful. And uh, oh, the, our writer gave it, gave it a really good review because when you said that, I was like, oh, I, I know that film. Oh, man. So Small World, I'm glad you got yeah. a screener from Bobby and James. Okay, well. Yeah, I have it on my, well, I have this insanely long, I should check that out list that is so hard to get to, but it's definitely on my list of, I need to check it out. Watch list? What's that? No, it's kidding. <laughs> yeah, it's like the never ending watch it list. Keeps, it just keeps yeah, growing right. and growing and growing. <laughs> <laughs> and after a while, you pretty much just got to kind of like with cable versus streaming is like, which do I cut the cord on first? It's like, okay, yeah. squeeze this in. I'll resubscribe to you next september and then from there you know happens well that's why uh podcasts are so great because it forces me to like you know it's like okay i'm going to talk about that i have to watch it um so that's always like really fun like this film i don't know when the heck i would have ever sat down and and watched this film but then like having an excuse i'm like thank god i had an excuse because this is like really fun it reminds (laughs) me of like the movies that I love. I would always hear the talk show host Jimmy Kimmel was on Conan's podcast about three years ago, and he always joked, "Is like if he didn't have time to squeeze in a movie, uh, he's like, I'm told you're good in it, so that way he didn't look like a dipshit or an asshole." <laughs> I haven't seen it. it. He didn't have to lie, tell a white lie, <laughs> risk asking a question that's contradicted by someone who actually had seen it. <laughs> it's, it's 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 a tough hustle because, like you say, is like. How much time and effort are you going to spend? And it gets even more complicated when half these movies have, you know, higher definition director's cuts, but you're not sure you want to spend that X amount unless you actually preview it first. And likewise, you know, if if you want to discuss it, you also want to make sure you got a good crowd as opposed to, oh, yeah, I remember seeing this in the drive-in. I'm like, yeah, but can you tell me a little more as opposed to just nerding out on me? <laughs> yeah well that's the thing is that i because i've seen all these films and then like but i i haven't seen them in a while and i'm just like crap i always feel like i need to i mean even though i could probably wing it i'm like i've got to rewatch it because it needs to be fresh in my mind right not good with (laughs) yeah just flying off the cuff i'm like shit i know that i know this stuff happened i have no idea what happened in this movie anymore 
and it's even harder if you just know in your soul like if you rewatch it your opinion isn't going to change of it so then you're like okay what am i going to study on it it's like well i studied enough i i had no problem with the effects or the lighting or or the music per se the music's really great i did i liked or did not like that movie and so it's just like it's even more interesting now it's like what are you what are you going to start what are you going to study more whatever viewing you're on <laughs> yeah and others can do that and i'm sorry i cannot watch a movie five to ten times just recording that's too much work <laughs> <laughs> i know many of you do it and good on you i just i can't and if I did have time, I would probably get bored unless I had the commentary on and it was just like a different viewing. I can't just watch it all back yeah. to back. And I know others who can do that. And good on you. If you want to watch <laughs> Avengers 4 or whatever, like on loop, that's on you. But there's other movies I'm just like, it's once a year. Otherwise, it's just oversaturated and I just, it becomes overrated to me. Just like a song that gets played nonstop on the radio. It just doesn't, I don't know. <laughs> oversaturation. Yeah. It's too much. <laughs> Blah um so who's your favorite performance would you say like an either movie that uh, you mentioned a bunch about like the female lead uh and the villains uh, um, uh there's some other actors from like uh just other obscure tv shows as well as one one of the jocks is from like twin peaks <laughs> yeah. oh wow no i didn't i didn't realize that actually yeah. um i you know i really liked i was trying to like look at my notes to this is bad because I'm trying to remember her name but I really liked in the first one um the like kind of bad girl Ooh, do you remember her name I, the blonde. I, did, I did a week ago when I recorded the first part Cute. Uh, I, I know who you're talking about yes I have yeah. this written down some oh China uh who's played by Michelle Johnson Ooh, I thought yes. she was so great in this um I mean mm -hmm. I, I told you I love Deborah Foreman um because she's like She's, she's she's a screen queen stuff and she's yeah. awesome yeah she's <laughs> yeah. amazing um but i thought china was really like fun and i kind of wanted more of her um uh, she I'm... she spoiler alert dies i mean that, that's what they, that's a spoiler since everyone <gasps> dies you in these kind of movies go but... through a horror movie on skate <sighs> <laughs> but she dies like a little too early for me and i was like damn it yeah um, she so Johnson's Cole, you've seen her in dorky movies like Blame It on Rio. You've seen her in The Jigsaw Murders, as well as Dr. Giggles, and even Far and Away. Yeah, Since I thought then, she was really fun in this. I liked her character a lot, and she was sassy, and I enjoyed her quite a bit. Sassy, yeah. Since then, she mm -hmm. basically did stuff like The Love Boat and Melrose Place. <laughs> There's all that. Oh, no. Well. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta make a living. She One yep. of the last big things she did was like around 96, she did an episode of The Outer Limits. So there you go. Oh, okay. Well, you uh, knew more than I did. I just knew I enjoyed her performance. Yeah, she's awesome. Uh, what's your take on David Warner, who just passed away, believe it or not? Oh, well, I plays, didn't know that. He plays Lincoln. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, that, he's great. Yeah. Jack the Ripper For in sure. time after time. But yeah. Um, but yeah, Dan Ashbrook. Uh, you, you know he plays tony here and he's the guy from Twin yes, Peaks. yes um uh but in my mind <laughs> zach galligan is still playing billy from gremlins that is who he's I, playing I know. this is in the same universe i don't care what smoberg said <laughs> this is in the same universe <laughs> and he's he's kind of doofy like he's not even like it's if he grew a bigger like, part of his fantastic brain. but i love him yeah i i, 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 I 
in my mind he basically just hung out with some more toxic people like in a sports room or whatever and he just got full of himself as opposed to the innocent dumb but charming billy ingram <laughs> yeah did you like him more in part one or two because i felt like he i felt like a totally different character in part two than he did in part one i didn't even think of that i i'll put it to you this way so kind of like with gremlins like those were filmed years apart but he was kind of just going for just kind of a reacting to the puppet and just kind of uh innocent everyday kind of feel kind of like a john Laurent john cusack and i don't mean that in any bashing or anything but yeah here instead of kind of reacting to everything he's kind of just doing some comedy and then yeah in part two he's kind of just taking it more light like oh what are we what are we, what are we doing now i guess we're going for the you know, portal again or we got to run away from this monster <laughs> so yeah. i i guess you could say he was both a little self-aware and that kind of like you know bruce campbell in the later evil dead movies some there's moments where it works and there are times where it doesn't work as well but you like it anyway just because it's just kind of embracing the over the top nature of it all so yeah yeah what it is. it's but, it definitely gets uh, campier in the second one, but I don't know. I kind of loved it. And don't get me wrong. Like, I, I don't say there's other movies that have backfired and you're like, no, totally wrong for the tone and everything. But there's other times where it's like, no, yeah, I mean, the first one was just a fun laid back movie. So it's like the camp tone. I mean, it, it, it wasn't a breaker really. <laughs> yeah. No. I don't know. Have you seen? Um... No. Do you, have you kidding. seen the direct? <laughs> <laughs> have you seen the director's commentary on the blu-ray with um with hickok and um uh galligan and they're talking about the film have you did have you caught uh, court said he did listen to it back in the day back when the dvds were first the thing in 03 but i uh, i didn't i i was gonna wait to hear other genre diehards like you actually weigh in on whether it was worth the purchase <laughs> no it's pretty great and it's pretty funny um and there's a lot of like fun stuff that comes out of that and he you know he's talking a lot about his role and it, one of the things that I think is pretty funny that I wrote down is he's like felt like pretty self-conscious about his appearance in it and he said he got really upset that the director made him tuck in his shirt um, oh really at, in, in one of the in one of the scenes he like tucks in his shirt and he feels like he has kind of a gut and he said he was like he he um caught the movie on USA's Up All Night once and Gilbert Gottfried <laughs> said We'll be right back with Waxwork starring Zach Galligan after 40 cheeseburgers. And he said, like, upset him so badly. And I was like, oh, shit. And when I watched it, I was like, yeah, it's it's pretty funny. But yeah, the commentary that's is pretty amazing. Great. Oh, my God. Yeah. And that's cool to know that it did actually kind of air there because it does. It, I, I think it did air briefly, like on Sci-Fi Channel, like at like two in the morning up until like 04 or whatever, when they changed the program. But now that's cool to know that it was the go to kind of movie for that kind of film. And oh, yeah. uh, so the commentary, I guess you I guess you could describe it kind of like the sarcastic back and forth rapport with that Kurt Russell and Carpenter do on uh, the commentary for the thing. <laughs> Yeah, which is nice because it's like what you would expect with this kind of film, you know, that it's, it's their own mystery science theater kind of semi commentary <laughs> where they're just they're talking during the movie. They're not necessarily ranting or making fun of how goofy they look or being a sarcastic asshole like Jim Wynorski is in all his post chopping mall type movies. <laughs> oh, yeah. Here's where I got a shot out of focus. Oh, this one actor, he was a real horse's ass. I fucked up the movie again, but I hope you loved it. You know, it's, there's so many guys that are just cray cray when they just 
go all out just recording a commentary and you're like jesus guys i think you're gonna get a lawsuit if you go there <laughs> yeah it must be hard it's like i don't know making a film i've never done it but it feels like such you a should. personal thing you that you pour totally your heart and soul into oh I, uh, I don't think i could do it I, I i could see you ripping your cinematographer like a new one is like are you gonna shoot this fucking thing or am i gonna take your equipment and fire you <laughs> No, like that's the problem is I I'm not good at like being confrontational and yelling at people. I mean, well, I'm I would not just confrontational like... either, but I am going to just if I ever do a movie again, I am going to do the whole like spell out. Apparently now you got to really just spell it out in the contract we will be paid upon completion. So you don't get to do the, you know, anytime you encounter any of those fools who take off with your footage and will only hand it over after you pay like a ransom you know it's like you don't open yourself up to their douchebaggery because now yeah this is why i think it would be hard to make a film because it takes you know it takes a village it takes so many people to like make a film a lot of the times and Just i'm protect. not really good at <laughs> i i'm very I'm much better at things that i can control you know that i'm like i could do all of it and so i know even though it's a lot of work i'm like well at least you know if it's if it's anything gets messed up, it's my fault. I only have myself to blame. Having to rely on other people is very stressful to me, yeah. which sounds really bad, but I don't know. People aren't always the best at being reliable. Correct. Especially with something that you're very passionate about. You know, I don't know. Like, I guess you just got to find I think the right you team. Can do it. I'm just putting it out there. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I would give you $2,000 versus someone else who has shown that they have no sense of recording decent sound or... <laughs> are just going to keep saying duly noted and you're just like fuck you <laughs> uh, off the record i had a pal who's been showing off his martial arts movie and he keeps wanting me to respond and then when i give him my two cents he just like ghosts me for a while and then comes back and says what do you think now i'm like i still can't hear it oh it's like sometimes i'm not people... trying to be a dick i can't legit cannot yeah. hear it i cannot hear it so this is danger will robinson that's the rule number one <laughs> yeah it's like when people want feedback and all they want is free to be like you're a genius you're the greatest thing that ever happened they don't actually want constructive feedback you know and you're just yeah like, oh, damn it and then it's just don't ask and then, me then right and then get so angry <gasps> why don't you like it i'm like i didn't say it sucked i just said you have half a movie here <laughs> yeah you, you have a i i think that's some good shots i don't feel like these actors have any charisma. Do you have any different takes? I know they're in there. That's <laughs> what I hate too, is everyone acts like you must be a number one actor. It's like, if you've got some charisma or just like you just up everyone's confidence, you can just have them say their lines on time and just worry about later whether or not you really think they're all that deep. You know, it's just, that's why everyone varies movie to movie and we have all these mixed, you know, reception because it depends on what you saw them in. <laughs> right, right. Uh, fortunately a lot of these guys were less just kind of low rent b-movie guys they always kind of were doing just drive in or direct a video kind of stuff so i don't think they 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 just were already doing a dedicated good job or just showing up and being an intimidating monster in this so it's like they they didn't have to worry so much i don't think about looking good or how they were they were just you know come to set on time i think really <laughs> yeah show up and have a good time sounds like a pretty good deal to me Freaking Gimli, freaking Sala from Indiana Jones here is the freaking werewolf. <laughs> <laughs>
And Count Dracula was Miles O'Keefe, who you might know as Tarzan in Tarzan the Ape Man, as well as if you've ever seen the Mr. Oh, Science wow. Theater movie, uh, the Ator, the Bla- you know, Cave Dwellers. You might you might have seen him in some of those goofy Italian just <laughs> movies where he's often holding a machine gun or you know, holding being bare chested and swinging a sword around like Conan. <laughs> nice. Yeah. And they, they have that classic uh, line from history science there, how much O'Keefe is in this movie. <laughs> oh yeah. Miles O'Keefe. <laughs> how much O'Keefe is in this movie? Oh my God. That's fun. Uh, I didn't see you. Have, you have all the trivia. I didn't know any of this. It's fine. I love these kinds of actors. I love these guys who just show up and you're like, that guy, you know, it, it should be more than just, I saw you on the Twilight Zone or in those goofy insurance ads. It should just be, you're just that kind of weird dude who just appears in all these bizarre movies. <laughs> yeah, I think if I was, I'm not, I would never want to be an actor, but if I was going to be an actor, you that's the kind be of actor, actor I'd want to be. No, God, no. 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 I'm going to voice actress. <laughs> Can I catch you as a voice actress? You should be a hit woman who... <laughs> no. Who kills. Nobody wants to pay to see that. No. Um, no, like you're just geez. a vo- voiceover. No, just... my voice is the worst part. No. Oh my God, no. No, no. Why would um, you do a podcast if you hate your voice? Come on. Well, because I'm, I don't, because I'm like <laughs> not nice to the people. I just do it because I think it's fun. But you know, I don't have to listen to I myself. Just... I just get to talk. I see you as a hit woman who goes around killing every pedophile <laughs> or uh, sex offender in in her neighborhood. And that, that would oh, be badass. that's the mar- Yeah, I mean that's or a werewolf not, in, on the movies. Cool you mean not in real life? <laughs> well, that'd be cool too. But I'm just saying, <laughs> this is movies yeah. we're talking about, folks. Jesus. <laughs> no, if I could be an actress, like I always wanted to be a badass. You well, know, like in those roles where you could just soon. kick ass. So the invites out there. For a drama five <laughs> production, <laughs> I think you should be a werewolf hunter, but that's just me. Oh, okay, yeah, no, I'll do it. Uh, and then, like, kind of like the comic comedic back and forth, like, just be like, "Well, excuse me," you know, just have that kind of attitude. <laughs> Don't give me shit, <laughs> asshole. <laughs> nice. Uh, yeah, I do have a potty mouth, so if I can like curse a lot on it, that'd be great. Fuck, fuck, can just really lean fuck. into that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Unfortunately, dramafy are bastards in that they don't want people cursing, but we'll find a way around no. it. We'll say, we'll say damn or hell. And I don't know. Sometimes not cursing is funnier when you just say ridiculous words instead of what you want really want to say. Take that, nerd. <laughs> <laughs> What's wrong with being a nerd? Shut I'm up. Like... Oh, fudge. It's just like hilarious. When yes. Oh, you know, say oh, something you that you would never say in real life, you know. The TVS USA Network. <laughs> Nobody talks like that, but all right. This is kind of wild. I don't really recall any cursing in this. It's pretty much just for like some occasional like uh, risque humor and uh, yeah, I don't blood effects. I, I don't but even then, either. like you could technically probably show a 14, 15 year old this and you'd be fine as opposed to other movies where you're like, ooh. Wait a while. <laughs> the good moments are just not going to be good for your eyes at age 13. <laughs> oh. Yeah, it's no, it's it's pretty it's pretty good like gateway horror. Um I mean you do get gateway a little gateway horror. Like, I like that dark term. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, the best. Um I mean of course my gateway horror was like exorcist and 
nice. I was like, I, I didn't, I skipped the gateway stage and went straight for the like. You should totally most. do a spoof of The Exorcist where you just take random insults that someone player says and just like post them throughout the movie. <laughs> <laughs> like just out of context. Mother sucks to hell. <laughs> <laughs> that would be amazing. Oh. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so Anthony Hickox claims he is working on a Fellini biography epic and shooting a movie called The Bride in Spain. I don't know how recent that is. Take Wikipedia with a grain of salt. Hmm. Interesting. What was the last thing he's done? He did like a 2009 like straight video movie, Knife Edge. I haven't seen it yet. I heard it was shitty, but uh, I've he, never even he, heard of that. He mainly just did a lot of movies that were like premiering on HBO that starred Armin Ashante and Dolph Lundgren and did another movie called A Contaminated mm. Man that was kind of a falling down kind a of thriller. Contaminated Man. I know, it's a cheesy <laughs> name, but apparently decent movie, I guess. Uh, I've never not minded him. I've always considered him a reliable B-movie guy. He, he he got to work with Larry Cohen on Invasion of Privacy, oh, well, which was a psycho-thriller. Uh, and... Blah, blah. I feel like, yeah, Waxwork, these, doing these back-to-back along with Sundown, the Vampire and Retreat, in my mind, those are kind of like all in kind of like the same universe somewhere. <laughs> yes. You know, I was, uh, when I was looking up some stuff about this film, somebody was like, you know, what's really strange is that this film hasn't been remade with like all the remakes right? that are happening because I feel like this is so ripe for a remake. And I usually like don't like a- to say that, but. No, I, I get it. There's some stuff you could remake and it could be probably like the new Suspiria where it's like it's related in name only, but a whole different special kind of special sauce as opposed to, like you say, like the endless movie where it's like, let's remake this. And everyone goes to it to basically like go be angry in the theater. It's like, it's not going to be good. But it's for so uh, that one asshole who wants to remake The Crow, don't do that. It's just not going to turn out yeah. anyway. It doesn't need to be remade unless you want to unless you want to market it as uh, like with the new Lord of the Rings, I'm doing a different adaptation slash version of it. It's like, okay, well that might appeal to those who, I don't know, didn't like the previous adaptation. I don't get it, but I, I'm going to give it a chance. If it's a different stance, if you got to slant it differently, basically. And it seems like, like they kind of tried to do with that with like total recall and it didn't quite work because they kept sneaking in homages to the original movie. And you're like, so what are we going here for or fellas? I'm not following. I thought this was trying to be a different it's adaptation. It's so hard to get it right. It's so hard. There's like, you they just got to strike that perfect of, balance. Perfect balance. Uh, they kind of did that with like that. Cause I, I feel like this is totally referencing like the original, like house of wax with Vincent price, uh, this waxworks movie. And yeah, mm-hmm. they remade house of wax like in 05, but, I didn't see it for the longest time. And then when I finally saw it, I was like kind of mad, like I was with most of Joel Silver's non Tells from the Crypt type material. But I was just like, okay, so it was kind of a ha ha behind the scenes. Hey, let's cast a few infamous actors in here and have them die. I'm like, let's put Paris Hilton in there and have her melt first. I'm like, well, so what are you trying to go for here? Like, <laughs> are you trying to break the fourth wall? What are you trying to do? Because if someone's going to die, I got to actually care about them or be horrified, not just be kind of guffawing at what a off-color character they are off screen. This just doesn't do anything for me. <laughs> it might for some other people, but I'm just not that mean natured. I just don't get the point. <laughs> Keep it in the movies, guys. Jesus. Yeah, listen, I'm going to say something super controversial here. 
So get ready. Dum, dum, dum. <laughs> Paris Hilton is a really good actress. <laughs> <laughs> there, I said it. She's really good in House of Wax. She's really good in Repo. Um, I think she's kind of great, but that may be the most controversial thing that I've said in a really long time. So you get it on your show. You're welcome. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> what do I know? I, I watch stupid movies with actors who basically kickbox and can't act their way out of the box, but are just adorable. <laughs> yeah, I remember like at the time she was so hated and she it was so controversial with both repo and house of wax um and people just like hate watched it so that they could yeah like watch her die and just well basically I think talk we're, about how much they hated her well truth be told we're kind of just slowly opening up because we're just kind of i still see people all the time they instantly want to fling shit at like whoever the first two main stars or directors are and it's just like you do realize movies are just like music the producers are calling all the shots unless your name is Scorsese or Spielberg. You know, it just, it doesn't happen. Otherwise, you know, you, unless you're feared, you basically got to play by their rules. And that's why half the time we see these movies, which we love or hate that the person's disowned and the Alan Smithy, you know, rename. <laughs> and, and you don't know how much of it is. They could have just set, acknowledged the studio notes they were getting. They didn't necessarily have to follow them and vice versa. Like they did have to follow them and they were just refusing to just go along with it. it and when actor, half the time, you don't really get to choose who is in your movie. And so the worst thing you can do is just refuse to work with them and not give them any notes or and sometimes they will be the difficult type. They'll be like, I want to shoot it this way or that way. And it's like, okay, we'll shoot it that way. We're not going to use any of that footage, but I'll keep that part to myself. <laughs> We're not going to use that take because it sucks and you're not a good actor, but <laughs> I'll use a better take. Yeah. You're at your best moment. <laughs> yeah, I know that like um, Darren Bousman, who did Repo, said that it was suggested to him that he uh, auditioned Paris for, for a Repo. And he was on record saying, he was like, hell no. Are you insane? There is no freaking way that I'm casting that girl. Like it, my film will be a joke. That's ridiculous. Um, and he said that she showed up to the audition and just blew everyone away. She was just like so freaking prepared. She came dressed like the character. She just nailed it. And he was like, shit, I was wrong, you know? And like, uh, was just very open about his like first impressions being wrong and being open to giving people a chance and sometimes that was people really cool. want to do their job sometimes <laughs> yeah like you never know you never know so this is kind of a cool uh, uh sidebar now uh so what are you uh gonna be probably reviewing next you predict if any on morbidly beautiful yeah <laughs> Uh, on the site, um, so, well, it's festival season. Um, dun, dun, dun. So, yeah. yes, so it's a very busy but very fun time of year. I am uh, about to go to Fantastic Fest in Austin, oh. uh, which is my favorite film fest. Um, and there's a lot of, Austin, actually, nice. It's amazing. And I mean, obviously, like, I love my town, so I'm probably partial, but it's just, it's got such a great vibe. And it's so much fun just being. I don't know, being with fellow nerds who love movies as much as I do. And basically I just sit in a theater for 
10, 12 hours a day for Oof. like eight, nine days. <laughs> it, it's, it, and that sounds like the sweet life and it is, I'm not complaining, but that's surprisingly exhausting. Just sitting on your ass for that long. I'm like, why am I so tired? I'm doing literally nothing. Um, it's exhausting, but it's so much fun. And they have, uh, the, I, I always see the best stuff there. So, um, nice. yeah, I'm kind of gearing up for that, trying to take it easy. Cause I know I'm going to be like, you know, working 24 hour days for, oh, for a period of time. Um, but yeah, hard to complain when you're doing something you love so much and we're covering, a genre blast right now which is a super fun little fest um mm. lots of like weird kooky stuff which is always like up my alley i like the weird stuff i like the stuff that weird, you know man. when i send it that's out weird. to <laughs> i send it out to my writers and everybody's like yeah no thanks that's a little that's a little out there i'm like okay that's for me then i'll take the out there stuff as long as you just start in on the joke and don't have endless shots of scene with <laughs> nothing going on i'm down <laughs> yeah uh. Yeah, oh. I do like I I like art house and I like subversive and I like extreme horror. So I like oh. a lot of the stuff that isn't for if everybody. You like but... that, then you'll like subversive cinema. I do. Yes. I want me to put. I it love in the, the word subversive. Oh, it's a it's a podcast. We want me to put you in the guest yeah. jar. <laughs> yeah. No. I, yes. <laughs> I. Awesome. I do love to talk about the yeah the. And I don't get to do it on my podcast because my co-host is like, no, thank you. I keep trying to get him to watch the really like effed up stuff. And he's like, yeah, I'm not doing that. So, <laughs> yes, I need, a, I need an opportunity to talk about the weird stuff. If you can organize it and give an idea of what's going on, what, what makes it odd, that, that's even more fun. <laughs> yes. What's like an example of something super Yellow subversive jackets. that you... <laughs> You know, I, it's funny. I've had multiple, I just uh, had a coworker yell at me for that. I haven't seen that yet. They were like, why haven't you watched this yet? (laughs) I know. Well, they, they recommended it to me before. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to add it to that list of that never ending list we talked about. And um, they yelled at me again, like this week recently and said, I can't believe you haven't watched that yet. You're an idiot. Watch it now. So as much as them or Lovecraft country. No, but it's got some relevance. It's, it's pretty relevant. (laughs) I'm gonna have to uh I think I'm gonna have to watch it because now I feel some guilty. Some of the flashbacks will like you. You'll like some of the flashbacks will make you say, all right, a little excessive there, guys. Let's go back to the present. And overall, it delivers the goods. All right. Arguably. But what do I, I know? I liked Mother's Day. <gasps> Shocker. <laughs> Mother's Day, like uh which one? Your most hated movie. <laughs> My most hated movie? Uh, I remember you guys were like, I fucking hate that movie. Me, I know I don't hate anything with with the um Frank Grillo, Rebecca Rebecca De Mornay. Yes, uh, I love Mother's Day. No, okay, I love it. My co host hates it. Okay, so that's what I was doing. <laughs> all right. Well, my co host hates everything, so that doesn't really count. Like, and he loves to hate things that he knows I love because that's fun for him. So sometimes I don't know how much he really hates, or he's there's just trying to, to get a rise rules. out of me. There's, there's exceptions <laughs> to every rule and half the time people don't even know what the genre is they just go without actually watching and like okay well what you did you just judged a book by its cover and it's already bad enough that my favorite comedy isn't going to win an emmy and it's already criminal that ray donovan and midnight mass didn't get any fucking emmys so fuck you emmys mm. but um yeah <laughs> one of my writers just wrote a 
article about Midnight Mass not getting any any nominations. And we literally messaged me. He was like, I'm outraged. Can I write an article? I'm like, sure, handle it. Let's go. That was the remainder of the episode. (laughs) It's like this one. (laughs) Who the fuck watched this show? No one. Who watched this show? Okay, well, Jillian Anderson, she's amazing, but this actor, this actress, they why did they win? Why did they win? And it's like, who watched the show? No one. (laughs) Was that sex education? No, it was it was more like just again, just like supporting stuff for like the crown and everything. I'm like, okay, oh, give yeah. it to, I believe in sharing the piece of pie. Don't give it to just one. Follow us on the web on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. The podcast is available on Podbean, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Anchor, Apple, and anywhere else podcasts are available. Feel free to review our show and leave comments on any of those sites. Thanks a million for listening. It's a jacked up.